right. Well, welcome to worship. I want to welcome those of you who are connecting with us online as well. We're glad to have all of you. If you're guests with us, I'm just especially glad to have you here with us today. I, I, love, I love worship. I love encountering God in worship. Um, I, I get the privilege of being in both services and getting to worship twice. Uh, and so I, I just, there's something powerful about coming together in corporate worship. Um, there, there's just, there, there's, there's something that, that happens in that. And uh, I'm just thankful for those that lead us uh, and for the blessing that they are and uh, that our church uh, has uh, people that give themselves towards leading us in that time of worship. And it's a blessing to me, and so I'm, I'm thankful uh, for this time of worship that we've had. And I know when you're online, maybe you weren't singing with us. Uh, if you weren't, do that next time, uh, because there's just something about us worshiping together. Um, and even when you're not physically able to be here, uh, to be able to worship in song with us. But my prayer is, is that all of us today would be changed by this encounter that we have in the presence of the Lord. Um, if you did not receive elements, communion elements, when you came in, um, I just want to let us know at the end of this service, we're going we're gonna to conclude by receiving communion together. And um, you don't have to be a member of our church. If this is the first time you've ever been here. It is an open table. God's grace is extended to everyone. And so I want to make sure everybody has elements that would like them. And if you slip your hand up, one of our amazing auditorium hosts will bring those to you if you still need uh, to receive elements. And if you're online, this is a really good time for you to run to the pantry and grab some goldfish um, because that would fit well uh, with this, um, and, uh, or some kind of juice. Um, anyway, we actually debated whether we would do goldfish today, but we felt like that might be pushing it in worship. Um, so we're going to stick with um, unleavened bread and grape juice. Uh, but if you are here, or if you're online, and uh, you're not even a follower of Jesus, you haven't even made the decision to follow Jesus yet, um, the table is extended to you as well because what better opportunity than at communion to ask Jesus to come into your life and to forgive you of your sins and be Lord and take the bread and take the juice. And so the table is open to all this morning and we'll close uh, by receiving communion together. Um, if you have your Bibles with you, start looking for Jonah now. Uh, because it's hard to find. It's only two pages. Uh, they stick together, um, and, and you've missed it. Um, and so the Lord put a table of contents in there for you where you can uh, find it as well. But uh, I just want to encourage you in this series. It's always good to bring your Bible, but particularly as we're doing a book study and we're just kind of going verse by verse, digging through a, a particular uh, book, there's no better time to bring your Bible and, and wait in. Uh, if you're using Uversion, uh, there's a QR code on the screen. If you're online or if you're here and you don't have your Bible and you want to use Uversion, you can scan that QR code. It'll take you all the notes and it'll take you to all of the scriptures for today so you can follow along on your smart device. But we're going to uh, continue in. Last week we began this series and um, I won't recap everything, but I will tell you two things that you need to know if you missed last week. Number one, Jonah is not a children's story. Um, it is not a story for kids. It's a story for all of us. And we absolutely need to kind of lean in and say, God, what do you have to speak to me? What, what is this that, that you want to talk to me about? And number two is this. Uh, Jonah is just one of those books that the more you separate yourself from Jonah... 
and you look down upon Jonah and you go, oh, Jonah, come on. Seriously, the word of the Lord came clearly to you and you went the opposite direction. And the more you kind of separate yourself and judge Jonah, the less you will get out of this book. And the more you say, I am Jonah, and the more you recognize that the word of the Lord has come clearly to you in many, many ways, and you have chosen to go in a different direction instead of doing what God told you to do, the more you look at this book and you see yourself reflecting on the pages, the more you will get out of this book. And so it's not a kid's story. And it really is a book that reflects our image, and it's all about us. And so we're going to jump in uh, in just a moment into chapter 2, but I want to pray uh, before we uh, continue in. And I just want to ask uh, that we would say, Lord, have your way in us. And so would you pray with me? Father, uh, we just invite you right now to speak to us through your word, to convict us where we need to be convicted, to challenge us where we need to be challenged, Lord, that you would... You would help us see things that we haven't seen before and, and give us new insights, not so that we can just have more knowledge and, and be smarter and have more information than when we leave here, but Lord, so that we can be changed, so that we can turn towards you in greater ways, so that we can encounter you and be changed this morning. And so I pray for those that are online. I pray for those um, that are here and have been coming here for many, many years Lord, they've been walking with you and following you all their lives. I pray for those that might be new followers and, and those that may be your guests with us. Lord, you know every heart, you know every situation, you know where each of us needs to take that next step. And I pray that you would help us today to just be willing to surrender and say yes to you and whatever that next step is. And we will give you the praise when you help us do what we cannot do in our own strength. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So um, I, I showed you a map last week. I want to just pull this up one more time uh, because this is basically what happened. God says to Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, which is 500 miles northeast of where Jonah was. And instead of going 500 miles northeast, Jonah immediately goes 30 miles south and then gets on a boat to go 2,000 miles due west uh, to the farthest known place in the known world, which was modern-day Spain, Tarshish. And so um, there is just this picture of God saying, I want you to go here, and Jonah saying, uh, no, absolutely not, I'm going to go over here. And, and the reality is, is all of us have run from God in different ways. All of us are saying no to God in different ways. And, and there are times where God will ask us to, to stop doing certain things, or there are times, like in Jonah's case, where God will ask us to do certain things, and we just say, oh, but God, that's hard. That, that's difficult. That's challenging. And, and because we are like Jonah, we get on boats and we go in the opposite direction of where God wants us to go. And one of my hopes in this series is that is that we will discover what are those tickets to get on a boat to go 2,000 miles west that we're chasing after? What, what are the tickets to Tarshish that we believe pursuing that will somehow make me happier and pursuing that ticket to this other place will somehow meet my needs in greater ways? What are those tickets to Tarshish for us? And more importantly, 
what can we do to begin taking steps of obedience to start saying yes to God and quit running from God, but start being obedient in clear and tangible ways. And so the hope of this series is that we'll see ourselves in Jonah and that we would be able to recognize like Jonah what we need to do, what steps we need to take to turn things around in our lives. And so last week we ended with um, God sending a storm to get Jonah back on track And Jonah takes the first baby step of surrender. And so if you don't know this, uh, the first baby step to surrender is just quit running from God. Um, And so last week we talked about that. that There's some of you that are running from God. There's some of you that know God wants you to do something, and you're just going in a different direction, and you're running from God. And and last week we kind of ended by us committing that we're going to take that first baby step of surrender And we're going to just quit running from God. But there's more to surrender than that. There's more to surrender than just saying, I won't run anymore. And we're going to look today at what is the the second step of that surrender for us. But Jonah, in Jonah chapter 1, verse 12, uh, quits running. He says, hey, throw me into the sea and it'll become calm again. I know this terrible storm is all my fault. He basically says, get rid of me. Um, You know, I'm the one who's caused this. Um, And what I love about this is if getting rid of Jonah was God's intent, then God would have just smushed Jonah, right? I mean, if that, if that, and he would have just raised up another prophet to go to Nineveh. But Project Nineveh was not the only thing that was involved here. If it was just Project Nineveh, then God would have just let him drown and he would have raised up another prophet. But there was more going on than Project Nineveh. There was also Project Jonah going on. And what looked like a storm to take out Jonah becomes clear that it was a storm to actually save Jonah. It was a storm to get him to turn towards God and and a storm to, to bring him to some place of repentance. And so Jonah, in Jonah chapter 1, verse 15 to 17, it says the the sailors threw him in. Uh, The storm stopped immediately. The sailors were awestruck by God's power. And then I love verse 17. It says this, Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. No big deal. God arranged a fish to show up hang out in that spot. Jonah needed a time out, right? And, and so God put a fish there and said, I'm going to just make this, you know, I love, the Bible just kind of makes this sound like it's an everyday occurrence. So, you know, the Lord arranged for a great fish to be there, you know, and swallow him and he was in the fish for three days. It just kind of in passing. Now, what's interesting, when we read this story, when you hear about this story, you always hear it's the story of Jonah and the whale, right? Or Jonah and the big fish, or however, you know, there's, it, the focus of this story is all about Jonah and the whale, Jonah and the fish. Um, but the truth is, is when it comes to Scripture, this is just a side note. Oh yeah, and by the way, the Lord arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and he was there for three days. End of story, right? Until the end of chapter 2 when the fish spits him out. It's just a blip in the story. The story is not about Jonah and the fish. The story is about Jonah and God. 
The story isn't about Jonah's physical survival in a fish. The story is about Jonah's spiritual renewal and how he turned back to God and what God was able to do in his life because of that. And so um, we said last week we weren't going to spend a lot of time focusing on this fish because it really is a side note in Scripture. But I did come across this, and I wanted to just share this one article with you from National Geographic in 2009 because they talked about just how big this great blue whale is. And, and although we don't have to come up with the natural uh, ways that God could have done this, if God wanted to just say, I'm going to speak a new fish into existence for this one moment in time, he could have done that, and we believe he could do that. If he can raise Jesus from the grave, he can do this. But just for the fun of it, I thought I would read this interesting article to you uh, because it just shows how God can do whatever he wants to do and just how big a fish are in the ocean. It says this about the great blue whale. It can grow to 200 tons and 100 feet long. A single whale weighs as much as the entire National Football League. Just as an elephant might pick up a little mouse in its trunk, so the elephant in its turn might be taken up by a blue whale and carried along on the colossal tongue. Had Jonah been injected, I love this, intravenously instead of swallowed, he could have swum the arterial vessels of this whale, boosted along every 10 seconds or so by the slow godlike pulse. I mean, like, ah, you know, can, can you live in the belly of a fish? Uh, absolutely. I mean, can you just imagine a fish in our ocean today that's so big you could swim the veins? Um, there, yes, God can do this, but what I love about Scripture is it just makes it a side note. Oh yeah, and by the way, a great fish was arranged and it swallowed Jonah. So it's possible, uh, absolutely it's possible for God to do this. Um, and so let's look at Jonah's prayer from inside this great fish. Jonah finally took the sea captain's advice. You remember in Jonah chapter 1, the sea captain goes down and wakes him up and he says, hey, pray to your God. Right? I love it that the pagan sea captain has to tell the prophet of God that he should pray. But finally, Jonah takes his advice he heeds this advice of this pagan sea captain, and he begins to pray. And uh, we see this prayer in Jonah chapter 2. And if you have it, uh, you can turn with me there. And this is, the, this is the prayer of surrender. And this is the second part of surrender. So if, if baby step number one is stop running from God, then baby step number two is this. And it basically is this. Start being obedient to God. So stopping running is one thing, but actually committing to do what God asks you to do is the second part of surrender. And we see that take place here in Jonah chapter 2. So Jonah chapter 2, beginning of verse 1, says this, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. And he said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and the Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. And then I said, O oh Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more towards your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves." 
and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates lock shut forever. But you, O Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. And my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise. And I will fulfill all my vows. For my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. This is the word of the Lord, and we are thankful for it. Um, I, I, love, I love this first verse, uh, because in this first verse, we, we see something really powerful. And before I give you this first blank for your notes, um, let me just say, uh, when Pastor Deanne at the beginning of the service asked, hey, how many of you have had a good week? And you know, so there were some of us, hey, it's been a good week. And how many of you have had a really difficult week, a challenging week? And you know, there was less enthusiastic. Yes, this has been a really hard week. Uh, and yet there are many of us here, there are many of us online who have had a really hard week. It's been a challenging week. There, there are burdens, there are concerns, there are things going on in your life that I don't want to minimize right now. But I just want us to know whatever our financial crisis is, whatever our emotional crisis is, whatever our relational crisis is, what, whatever crisis COVID has brought into your life, whatever challenges that there are going on in your life or people you love and care about, I just want us to agree on this one thing uh, as we begin looking at chapter two, and that is this, Jonah has you beat. Jonah has you beat. Because no matter what kind of problems we face, no matter what kind of challenges we face, although I don't want to minimize those, we are listening to this sermon and we are outside of a great fish, not inside a great fish. I mean, the, the first line of chapter two says this, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. And so if you are here and you are outside of a fish, Jonah's got you beat. His situation is worse than your situation. Uh, his situation is worse than my situation. And um, I, I just think in, in so many ways, when we think about the difficulty he was in, um, Jonah says, I, I, I'm in this terrible place. And, and he goes on and he describes how he was falling deeper and deeper and the seaweed was wrapping around his head, that, that everything was going bad, that nothing seemed to be good, that, that there was no light at the end of the tunnel. And, and I don't know if you've ever been there where it just seems like it keeps getting darker and darker and darker, that there doesn't seem to be any hope, that there doesn't seem to be any turnaround for the situation. And that's where, that's where Jonah was. And in the midst of that situation, in the midst of that darkness, in the midst of all of the, the bad things that were just coming around, um, that he, he makes a decision to start praying this prayer. Now, he was in the fish for three days, and I'll just say this. This, this is a highlight reel of Jonah's prayer, because I, I have to imagine 
this was not the only prayer he prayed. It wasn't like he just said this over and over and over again. This is, this is kind of the recap highlight reel of what he prayed over the course of three days. But in the midst of this dark situation, he begins to pray a prayer of surrender. And it's not just the prayer of surrender that he prayed in chapter 1. Chapter 1 was, okay, God, I give up, I'll quit running. This was, okay, God, I'll actually do what you ask me to do. I'll start being obedient. I will fulfill all of my vows. I will turn wholly towards you, and I will do what you say. And I think the reason it's so important for us to understand Jonah's prayer of surrender here is not because we like history lessons from 760 B.C., um, but it's because how God dealt with Jonah in 760 B.C. is the same way God deals with us today. And how we choose to respond to bad situations will impact the future that we have. And uh, his prayer, five times in here, he, he basically says, because of this difficult situation, I've, I'm turning to you and I'm calling out to you. Because of this painful situation, I'm calling out to you. And it's really reminiscent of many of the Psalms, uh, particularly Psalm 107. In Psalm 107, verses 1 and 2, it says this, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story, those He redeemed from the hand of the foe. And so, who are the redeemed? The redeemed are people who were in the midst of a really bad situation, and God did something for them, all right? And, and so, Psalm 107 is saying, hey, those people ought to tell their story. Those people ought to celebrate what God has done. And then I love it because it breaks down two different kinds of people who are redeemed. The first kind of people who were redeemed, in Psalm 107, 4 through 6, it says this, Some wandered in desert wastelands. And these are the people that are different, by the way, than Jonah. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and they were thirsty and their lives ebbed away. And then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. So these aren't like Jonah. These people are going through a really difficult place because of just life, because of situations, because of other people. They're just, they're going through a bad spot. Some of you are going through some bad spots because of life or because of others. But then he goes on, and in verses 10 through 14, it describes a group of people just like Jonah. And it says this, some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains. Why? Because they rebelled against God's commandments. And they despised the plans of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled, and there was no one to help. And then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their chains. And so you've got Jonah who's in the belly of this fish and, and he kind of falls into that second camp where he's, he was the guy that got himself in this situation from running from God and doing what he sh knew he shouldn't do. Uh, but whether you are like Jonah and, and you're the person that got you into your boat or whether you're just in a bad spot because of life in general, what we see in Jonah is that while he's in the middle of this bad situation, he calls out in verse 9, and he says this, in the NIV it says, But I with shouts of grateful praise will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. 
I will say salvation comes from the Lord. In the New Living Translation, that same verse says this, but I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. There's this picture of saying, okay, I'm in this bad place, but I'm going to turn fully to you, and I'm going to fulfill all my vows. God, I'm going to do everything that I have committed to do. I'm, I'm going to obey you. I'm going to take some steps of obedience, and I'm committing to do that. And in Psalm 107, it puts it this way in verses 15 and 16. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love. These are the redeemed people that have been saved. His wonderful deeds to mankind, for he breaks down gates of bronze and he cuts through bars of iron. Here's what you need to know. Whether you're like Jonah and you put yourself behind those gates of bronze and those bars of iron, or whether you're just there because of life, we serve a God who wants to break you out of those places. We serve a God who has the power to break you out of those places. And all it takes in order to be broken out of those places is for us to quit running and then take the second baby step of surrender and actually begin to commit to obey and to do the things that God has called you to do. Why is that surrender so hard for us? Knowing that God will break us out of those bars of iron and those, those gates of bronze, why is it so hard when Scripture is so clear, if you do this, you can be freed? Why is it so hard for us to do that? I, I want to give us just three reasons why surrender is so hard for us. Number one, we have to realize that there is no, altern no other alternatives. The reason we don't like to surrender is because we keep thinking, well, maybe I can do this, and maybe I can try that, and maybe I can chase after this, and you know, I, maybe if I get a ticket to go 2,000 miles west, it'll, you know, and we just, we try all of these other options, and, and really surrender is about us saying, okay, God, I can't do this. I can't fix this situation. This is out of my control. It's out of my power. And when we get to that place of saying, I can't do this, but God, I'm going to turn to you, there is power in that. But the reason that we don't do it is because we keep chasing after all the other options. Jesus said this in Matthew uh, chapter 19, verse 23. He said, then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, we don't like that verse. First of all, some of you are like, well, yeah, it's probably hard for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven. Good thing I'm not rich. Um, let me just help you. Um, if you drove a car here today, you're rich. If you have running water where you live, you're rich. If you have running water where you turn the left knob and it's warm, you're really rich. Um, it, we are so wealthy, we don't even recognize how rich we are. But compared to the rest of the world, we have so much. We have so much that we believe we're bad off when, when we have things, you know, like even as a church, when our air conditioner broke um, and we had to worship without an air conditioner for a couple weeks, you know, it was, it was, you know, oh, it's so terrible. And, you know, now we have this rental unit and, oh, it looks like an octopus attacked our building and, you know, 
And, and by the way, the AC, the new AC is here, and they're, they're doing some final things. Hopefully in the next two weeks, it'll be perfect and running and all that. But, but these are rich people problems, right? When, when we're complaining about air conditioning, and there are people in the world that they can't even gather together without doing it in secret, because if they get caught, their lives could be in jeopardy, or they could be thrown into prison. We have rich people problems. We are rich. I just hope you know that. I hope you recognize that. We, we need to understand that we're wealthy. And the reason, G, and so we absolutely don't like this verse, because then we're like, well, Jesus is saying we're going to have a hard time entering into the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, that's exactly what Jesus is saying. Do you know why Jesus says it's hard for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven? He says that because rich people have more options. Rich people have more things that they can chase after before they finally give up and start turning to Jesus. And if you think about the things in your life that you have used your resources to distract you from God's voice, and you've used your resources to distract you from the things that God wants from you, that, that rich people, us, we, just, we have more options of things that we can chase after than people that don't have resources. And so um, we just need to understand that before we can get to this place, we have to recognize that there's no other alternatives, that we have to turn to Jesus if we want our lives to turn around. The second reason this is hard for us is uh, we have to give up on all other priorities and desires. All other priorities and desires. When someone in the military surrenders, they don't say, I'll surrender on the condition that you put me up in this five-star hotel and you give me this kind of transportation and then you give me, you know, that, you know. No, it doesn't work that way in the military. Uh, we went to a, a fall or like a, a pumpkin patch place with Meredith and Landon uh, yesterday, and um, it was a really, it was just a fun place to be, but one of the guys in line in front of us had a t-shirt, and I liked this t-shirt a lot. It had like an American flag, and it had a guy holding a machine gun, and it said, you know, these colors don't run, these colors reload, and I was like, yeah, like there's a part of me, it's like the military part of me, I'm like, yeah, that's good, um, and I like that, um, but that's the very problem, right? That, especially as Americans, like we, we don't want to, we're not running, we're not surrendering, we're, we're going to reload, we're going to figure out a new plan, we're going to, you know, under our conditions and our, and, and the reality is, is to surrender means I've got to give up all of my priorities, I've got to give up my desires, and I've got to say, okay, God, you can have it your way. And we don't like to do that. And that's hard, it goes against what's inside of us. That wants to say, no, I'm, I'm not running. I'm not surrendering. So in Jonah chapter 2, verse 8, listen to this. Jonah says, those who worship false gods turn their backs on all of God's mercies. And, and in the, the understanding of a false god here is anything that we chase after other than God to meet our needs, to satisfy us, to take care of us, to to help us feel fulfilled and valued. Anything that we're chasing after to give us purpose and meaning and value other than God is a false God for us. And that could be so many different things. And I, This passage is so powerful because it's saying that any, anybody who's chasing after these other things other than chasing after God, that we're literally turning our backs on God's mercies. And I'm like, I don't want that. I don't want to turn my back on God's mercies. 
I, I, don't, I don't want that in my life. And when you understand when you're chasing after other things, you're literally turning your back on God's mercies because you're chasing after other things instead of chasing after God. And, and I think that's so clear. And yet, none of us want that. Why, why would we do that? And so the, the third thing that we need to know is this. The reason it's hard for us to surrender is that it means that we have to give up on our freedom and commit to a new owner. Boy, this is where it really gets hard because I don't want to give up my freedoms and I don't want to commit to a new owner. And, and, and to give up my freedoms, to give up my, and to not only say, okay, God, I'm going to stop running from you. That's one thing. It's one thing to say, I won't run from you. It's another thing to say, I'm going to submit to your lordship and I'm going to actually do everything you ask me to do. That I am going to give up my freedom and I'm going to say, you are the owner of my life. You are Lord of my life. That is a whole nother step of surrender than just quitting running from God. It's almost easy to say, okay, I'll quit running from God. It's a whole lot harder to say, I'm not only going to not run from God, but I'm going to obey. I'm going to do what you ask me to do, and I'm going to submit to your lordship. You're going to be the owner of my life, and I will allow you to direct me and lead me and guide me. And so, 100% of, of God's mercy is poured out on us when we do this. And when we're chasing after other things, we're turning our back on God's mercies, according to Jonah. But when we turn and we say, okay, Lord, I will obey and I'll allow you to be Lord, then his mercy is poured out on us. And, and his mercy is God looking at us and saying, I love you and I like you. And I think this is really important for some of us to hear. Some of us need to hear, God not only loves you. I, I think some of us go, I know God loves me. I just don't think he likes me. I mean, I know God loves me, but I just don't think he, no. God says, I love you, and I really like you. And I want to be in relationship with you, and I want to walk with you, and I, and I want to lead you to what's best in your life. But that can't happen until we quit running and we start submitting and saying, okay, Lord, I'm going to allow you to be Lord of my life, and I'm going to say yes, and I'm going to allow you to direct me. And so um, we, we want God to be our blesser. We want God to be our helper. We want God to be our financial advisor. We want God to do all of these things. And God says, listen, I only play one role, and that role is Lord. Am I Lord or not? Am I the owner or not? And I'm not going to give you advice and be your helper and, and, and just be your, you know, like, oh, you know. No, I'm either Lord or you're chasing after other gods and you're turning your back on my mercies, according to Jonah. And so in Jonah chapter 2, verse 9, um, I love this because it actually says in, in verse 7, um, as my life was slipping away, Jonah says, I remembered the Lord. And I want to go, Jonah, you are a prophet. What do you mean you remembered the Lord? It's interesting. He, he was somebody who knew Scripture. He was somebody who was a prophet of God, a well-known prophet of God. And yet it says he remembered the Lord. Um, and so how many of us have a title like Jonah had a title, right? You have the title Christian. 
You have a lot of information. You, you've heard a lot of sermons in your life. You've, you've heard a lot of scripture in your life. You, you have a title. You have a lot of knowledge. But you aren't remembering who's Lord. You aren't remembering who God is. And um, Jonah forgot that God was 100% sovereign. And that God was going to do what God wanted to do. And that God was Lord of the entire universe and desired to be Lord of his life. And verse 9 is really where it all comes to a head. It says, uh, but I will, Jonah finally gets to this place and he says, But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise and I will fulfill all my vows. I'll, in other words, I'll be obedient. I'll do what you ask me to do. I'll say yes and when he does that, it, I believe it was at verse 9 where God said, Okay, all right, you're not fish food. At verse 9, it was this, Okay, you, you, you now can be used to do something uh, for the, the kingdom and make a difference. And so um, when he committed to obedience, and so Jonah was in this fish, and there was nothing that he could do, right? He, he couldn't go to the temple and make a sacrifice. He couldn't give any money. He couldn't go do good works and good deeds for other people. There was nothing he could do. He was completely vulnerable inside this fish. The only thing he could do was say, God, I surrender. I'm not only going to not run from you anymore. I'm actually going to fulfill my vows and I'm going to do whatever you ask me to do. That was the only thing he could do was surrender fully. And when he surrendered fully, God said, okay, I, I'll do the rest. I'll do the rest. And he had this fish spit him out on the shore. And uh, that's kind of a gross picture, but that's what happened. Verse 10 says, then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. And I think about that and I go, what did that, what was, I, I wish I could have been there. Right? I mean, that was probably pretty nasty, right? Um, I wish I could have seen that. Um, that just would have been pretty cool to watch that happen. A lot of people envision him being spit out at the gates of Nineveh. And I'm just telling you, that's not what happened. Um, most scholars believe that he was spit out on the shores of Joppa. So it's kind of like Monopoly, return to go. Like, you know, uh, just, uh, you know, return to where you started from, and he spit out right there on the shores of Joppa. Whether it was Joppa or not, we do know that Nineveh was 500 miles east of the shoreline, wherever he was spit out on the shoreline. So when he was spit out on the shoreline, so baby step number one in surrender, and this isn't in your notes anywhere, but you ought to write this down. Baby step number one in surrender is quit running from God. That's what we talked about last week. Baby step number two in surrender is commit to being obedient and you know, say, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fulfill all my vows. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be obedient. I'm going to allow you to be Lord of my life. Baby step number three takes place when he got spit out on the shore. Because baby step number three is when he was standing there covered in fish goo. And he looks this way, and this way's Nineveh, and he takes that first step. And then he takes another step, and then he takes another. And listen, I don't, the Bible doesn't give us all the details, but that was a 500-mile journey. You know there were times where he was walking, and he was like, I don't want to go to Nineveh. What, what am I doing? Why am I going to Nineveh? I'm going back to Joppa. And then he remembered all right, Lord, 
I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep there's, there's stopping running from God is one thing. Committing to obey God is another thing. But then it's every single day. Day after day after day, putting one foot in the other and doing what God tells us to do. That's truly what surrender is all about. In your notes, I'll, just, I'll close by just giving you this idea of what, what, what did God want from Jonah? And what does God want from you and me? I just want to give you a couple of points here. The, the first thing that I think helps us with this is in Mark chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. So Jesus, um, in the first five chapters of Mark, had been walking on water, had been delivering people from all kinds of things, had been healing blind and crippled people. I mean, he'd been doing some amazing things. And he returns to his hometown, to the people that knew him best, to the people that had more knowledge about him than anybody else had. And this is what it says in Mark chapter 6, verses 2 and 3. The next Sabbath he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. And they asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? And then they scoffed, he's just a carpenter. The son of Mary and the brother of James and Joseph, Judas and Simon, and his sisters live right here among us. And they were deeply offended. And they refused to believe in him. In other words, they were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, didn't I change his diaper at some point? I mean, like, weren't there? I mean, there were just these moments where like, we, we know his family. We, we know that he grew up in this area. And, and because they were so familiar, because they were so, they had so much knowledge, they had so much information that they weren't able to take a step of faith and, and realize and believe and put their trust in who he was and and, and then it says this in verses 4 and 6 of Mark 6. Then Jesus told them, A prophet is honored everywhere except his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. I, I think... God was looking for this in Jonah, and God is looking for this in us. You can write this in your notes. People with faith, not just facts. People with faith, not just facts. And I, I believe sometimes um, God looks at us, and Jesus could be here with us this morning in a physical way, if, if he were to walk into this in, in a physical presence, and Jesus would look at us, and Jesus would say, you know so much about me. You, you have so much information about me and what I want from you and what I'm asking of you. And you refuse to obey me. You have so much knowledge and yet you refuse to be obedient and allow me to be Lord. And in your notes, um, you can just write this down. And I think this, this reminds me of Jonah's journey, that surrender is not a one-time decision. It's a daily choice. Surrender is not a one-time decision. It's a daily choice. And so the first step to surrender is saying, I'm going to quit running. The second step to surrender is saying, all right, I'm, I'm going to commit to doing everything God calls me to do. 
And then there's this daily choice of surrender that every day I've got to choose to surrender. Every day I've got to say I'm going to follow. Every day I've got to lay down my desires for God's desires. And so I I would love it if our church would be a place that is not just about where you can get more information, but where you can experience more transformation. And I want us to, I want us to close this morning by, by taking that further step of surrender. And so I'd, I'd invite you, if you have your communion elements, to, to take them out and, and to hold on to those. I, I want us to receive this together. And if you're watching online and you want to partake with us, that you would uh, get whatever elements you have there available and that you would receive this. I think that there's something, there's something powerful about saying, okay, God, I'm, I'm going to quit running from you. And we talked about that last week. And, and maybe some of you, you need to do that. Maybe some of you, you're running from God and you need to quit running from God. That's the first baby step in surrender. Stop running from God. But there are many others of us that are here. There are many others of us that are watching online. And, and you're a follower of Jesus. You're a Christian. It, at some point in your life, you've said, okay, Jesus, I'm going to quit running from you. And it could have even been last week that you made that decision and you said, okay, I'm, I'm going I'm to commit to following you. But then there's this, I'm not just going to stop running, but I'm going to actually do what you call me to do. And I'm just telling you, all of us here today, every single one of us, every single one of you watching online, there is at least one thing that God wants you to surrender this morning. There is at least one thing that God wants you to say yes to him for. And I don't know what that is because it's different for all of us. It might be that God wants you to turn away from something. It might mean that God wants you to say yes to begin doing something. And, and the reason we don't want to do that is we say, yeah, but what if he asks me to do something hard? He will. i just tell you, he will. I don't want to sugarcoat this. If, if you surrender to God, he might call you to go to Nineveh. And that's going to be hard. But you will never be happy. You will never be content. You will never be fulfilled doing anything outside of what God calls you to do, even if it's hard. So say yes. Say yes now. Commit to saying, Lord, whatever you ask, I will do, even if it's hard. And I'm telling you, it'll be worth it to say yes. Jesus, when he met with the disciples, he gathered with them to celebrate a Passover meal. And they, they had celebrated that Passover meal countless times before. And every time they did it, it was in order to celebrate what God had done for their forefathers in Egypt, delivering them from slavery. And they would take this meal and they would eat it and they would celebrate what God had done. And Jesus got together with his disciples and he said, I'm going to change this for you. I I don't want you to do this in remembrance of what God did for your ancestors. I want you to do this in remembrance of me. I want you to do this in remembrance of what I am going to do for you. And that I'm not going to set you free from slavery in Egypt. I'm going to set you free from the slavery of sin. And I'm going to create something new. And I'm going to start something new. And I'm going to give a new covenant. And I'm going to give you the power to obey. And I'm going to give you the power to say yes. And I'm not just going to give you the power, but I'm going to give you new desires. And all you have to do, just like Jonah and the fish, Jonah was in the fish and he could do nothing. The only thing he could do 
was surrender. And if you'll surrender, God says, I'll give you all the power. I'll, I'll do all the heavy lifting. You just have to say yes. And so as you take this bread, this bread that Jesus took with his disciples, and he said, do this in remembrance of me. And he blessed it and he broke it. He gave thanks to God for it. And he said, do this in remembrance that my body is broken for you. So take and eat and be thankful that Christ's body was broken for you today. That same night, Jesus took the cup and he gave thanks for it. He said, this cup represents a new covenant of my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sin. So as we take and we drink, give thanks to the Lord that his blood was shed for your forgiveness. Drink and be thankful. Would you pray with me? Lord, our, our answer is yes. Our commitment is that we will do whatever it is you ask us to do. Lord, we know that there are many things that are tugging at us and and, and giving us new options and opportunities. And and as rich people here in this room and as rich people watching and listening online, we, we have so many opportunities to distract us from you. But today we invite you to lead us and guide us and and tell us wherever to go. And we just say to you in advance, yes, Lord. And we ask that you would give us the desire and you would give us the power that tomorrow morning when we wake up, just like Jonah had to put one foot in front of the other for 500 miles, that we would keep putting one foot in front of the other that we would keep being obedient, we would keep saying yes, and whatever it is you reveal to us in your word, whatever it is you reveal to us through your spirit, that we would just say yes. We commit to that now. We commit to fulfill all of our vows to you, and that we will submit to your lordship and allow you to reign supreme. We thank you for your goodness that has run after us and chased after us, Lord, just as you chased after Jonah with that storm, just as you arranged for a fish to swallow him, just as you pursued Jonah, Lord, we're thankful that you've pursued us and that you've given us the opportunity again this morning to turn fully to you and surrender fully to you and allow you to work in us. And we ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Jonah, chapter 2, verse 9 says this, But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise. It's one of our responses to who he is and what he's done for us. And then he says this, And I will fulfill all my vows. Surrendering is about stopping running from God. But it's also about turning and saying, God, I'm going to obey you and I'm going to follow you. And my prayer for us is that as we leave here, we'll be like Jonah. and We'll start putting one foot in front of the other 
and we'll keep saying yes to whatever it is God calls us to do and we'll obey. And as we do that, God will work in our lives in greater ways and he'll use us to make a difference in others. Go in his peace to be those kinds of people. You're dismissed. Hey guys.